I would like you to turn in your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter one. I want to talk to you out of that passage. I shared with you a little bit last week, kind of set the table, if you will, uh, about this word, this subject, koinonia. Isn't that mar- that marvelous song that Alan wrote? I told him, write me a song on koinonia. That's right. He says, yes, pastor. He just does it. So as we talked about koinonia, I suggested to you that if we could define it, we simply define koinonia as a ministry of what? Caring. And I also suggested that there's a, there's a dearth, there's a lack across the board of people who genuinely care. And that affects the church. Our culture, rather than us flavoring the culture, the culture tragically continues to try to flavor the church. When in fact, the Christ, our relationship with, with God through Christ, our, our, our fellowship, our community, uh, all of that really should mark and define our life, shouldn't it? What marks and defines my life is not the fact that I, I do this work or I'm that thing or I live here. Or I do, it's the fact that I am uh, a, a Christian. I'm part of the God's family. I'm part of his kingdom. That, that identifies my life. That's first and foremost. Oh, and I'm a lawyer to put food on the table. Or I'm a doctor. Or I'm a dentist. Or I'm a plumber. Or I'm an electrician. Or uh, whatever. This is critical for us to keep remembering. So that my life really does identify with Christ and with his cause and with his people. I care. I care about what God cares about. Because I'm so united to him. And it's easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? And when we get distracted, uh, we quit caring that other people sense that. And, and, and I, quite frankly, you know, in, in our culture today, uh, going to church, being part of the church, 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 church. It's kind of passe. It's, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't look to be relevant. And maybe some of you this morning, as you're coming here today, say, why am I doing this? Out of habit? Or because I'm an integral part of the body of Christ and we need to meet together regularly to be reminded, strengthened, encouraged, built up, and participating and, 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 and have the vision refreshed. Am I making sense? So the, the, there, there is no hope. There is no hope except that we have it and we give it. We share it. People are living hopelessly desperate lives. And there's some in the church who live hopelessly desperate lives. This is why it's imperative that we understand and that we grasp, take hold of this whole concept of koinonia. And that's part of what's prompted me to, to pass these sign-up sheets down through the rows. Because we, we have these environments. Discover Hope is a, is, a, is a terrific environment for people to begin to get enculturated, if you're new, or maybe if you've been on the periphery for a while, 
You say, well, I, I've heard all that stuff before. No, no, no. It's part of being enculturated or reenculturated into the church, into the kingdom of God, into the expression of the kingdom of God here at Hope Chapel. Mini church. And critically important environment. Uh, and we've had many church for so long, and many of you have been in and out of many church over the years. And, you know, you think, well, you know, many church. And it's kind of peripheral. Yeah, it's peripheral only if the kingdom of God is peripheral. But if you see the value of it and the value of participating and the value of bringing your gifts to bear in the lives of others in that small group, and you care about the kingdom of God and the vision of the kingdom of God impacting our culture and our world, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. What are we going to do about it? And the same with discipleship. There, there are far too many Christians who, quite frankly, are biblically illiterate. They're just illiterate. I mean, sweet people, wonderful people. But if you ask them... To, to give you a theology on some subject, you ask, where does the Bible teach that? Can you cite a number of passages to support that? They're at a loss. Just fundamental things. The question is, do we care? A ministry of caring is expressed through two avenues that I suggested to you last week, sharing together and sharing with. Koinonia. What does that mean? Well, it means caring. Caring about what? Sharing. Sharing what? Sharing together. There were two subsets to that. You remember what the two subpoints were? Sharing together. Anybody remember the two subsets? It's on the front cover of your bulletin. Look at the front cover of your bosom. There's a little box off here in the bottom. Relationship and partnership. We're in relationship. An inseparable relationship with one another uh, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in relationship. Inseparable. We need each other. And partnership. We're in partnership. We're in partnership with this great mission. We're partners. Do I care? Secondly, I suggested to you that it's not only a, 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 a sharing together, but it's a sharing with. Sharing with. And I'm going to share with you what, what God has, has been doing in my life. I'm going to share with you the things I've, I've gained, I've understanding, and how I'm, I'm growing. I want... Why? Just to, just to puff myself up? No. Because I want your life to benefit and be enhanced so that your relationship with Him is better because of what I've been able to impart to you and encourage you. This is why I do what I do. I could make more money doing something else. You know that? I don't do this for the money. So we share with one another spiritual things, spiritual things. Let me tell you what God's doing. I'm going to tell you this morning, again, what God has shown me. And I want it to benefit you. 
but it's also a sharing with one another material things, as we saw in the book of Acts last time. Now, how many want to have meaningful fellowship with one another? Yeah, not everybody. <laughs> Number of hands didn't go up. You're still not sure. It's not a trick question. You know, I use trick questions, but this is not one. <laughs> For those of you who truly want to have meaningful fellowship with one another, that is not possible unless and until we are individually in vital fellowship with who? God. This is the foundation of our fellowship with one another. You say, well, I believe, I'm a Christian, I'm in. Well, I, I want to just kind of nuance this a little bit for you this morning and talk to you about koinonia with God. Actually, this morning and next time, a kind of a mini two-part series. Last night, I told the congregation, I reached into this part and I said, and I, I said, and now I'm going to share this part with you next week. They went, oh. So I expect the same response this morning when I say that to you. Yeah. Wait, not yet. Not time. I'll, I'll cue you. All right, you tracking with me? All right, now you're going to have to pay attention because I'm going to use terms like objective and subjective. All right? So follow me. Stay with me. I'll get you there. Trust me. Question. What does the word relationship mean to you? You can write your own little answer down in the, in the little space provided in your notes. What does the word relationship mean to you? Does it indicate an objective fact or does it indicate a subjective experience? When you hear the word relationship, when you think about relationship, do you think objective fact or subjective experience? For example, if I say to you, I have a good relationship with my son, what typically do you think I mean? Do you think, does it come to mind for you that I'm referring simply to the positive state of affairs that exists between Michael and myself? Yeah, generally, right? Yeah. That, that when I say uh, I have a good relationship with my son, you would think that I'm speaking about our subjective experience. Very logical, very natural for us to think that. We use the word relationship this way all the time. We speak of the importance of relationships in our families. We speak of the importance of relationships, as I suggested to you this morning, in the church, our small groups, mini church, discipleship groups, uh, relationships with uh, acquaintances, people we work with. We speak about these. And in all these cases, when we speak about relationships like that, we tend to emphasize the importance of knowing Loving, accepting, caring, and encouraging one another, don't we? Those kind of qualities we attach to that. And all these relational 
uh, actions speak of our experience with each other in our day-to-day lives. So again, when you hear the word relationship, when you think relationship, what do you typically think about? Most of us typically go right to the subjective experience. May I suggest to you, however, that the most basic meaning of relationship has to do with objective fact. The dictionary defines relationship this way. As the condition or fact of being related. The condition or fact of being related. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Wow, I want to be in a relationship. I'm in a condition. (laughs) Well, take, for instance, a marriage relationship. When a man and a woman marry, they enter into a relationship. Fact. Condition. Now, as the years pass, their relationship may be plus or minus, huh? Good or bad, depending on the input. But the point is, they're in a relationship. It's a fact. Whatever their experience, the fact remains that they do have a certain kind of relationship with each other. Last time, we saw that koinonia represents or expresses, first of all, the meaning of relationship in this objective manner. In other words, all believers are related to one another in the sense that we all share a common life in Christ. That's a fact. That's a fact. We're, we're all related. We're all part of the body of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. That's a fact. That's a condition. Our experiential relationships with one another grow out of our objective relationship. I'm not going to enjoy relationship and fellowship unless first I understand that I am in relationship. Does that make sense? I know, I know for some of you this sounds very fundamental, but I do have a purpose. <laughs> Only those who are in fellowship. I love the sound of turning pages. <laughs> Only those who are in fellowship, objective fact, can have fellowship. Subjective experience. Now, the fact that, that, that I realize and I know that I'm in relationship with you. I've been given this. I'm a participant. Must of necessity mean that I must participate. Imagine that. One's true, the other must follow. And only those who are in fellowship with one another can have fellowship. Now, just as this objective fact of relationship is the most basic concept of fellowship with one another, guess what? So it's also the most basic concept of fellowship with God. We must first have an objective, living relationship with God. A true relationship. We call that union with God. Being union with God. I must have that before I can enjoy the experiential relationship with Him. Communion with God. 
It does me no good to pray, to go and, and, and pray to some deity if I don't have a relationship. Does that make sense? If I have a relationship, fact, then now I can go and I can enjoy the other side, the flip side of that. If I can say it this way, we must be united to Christ by saving faith before we can have fellowship with him on a daily basis. And true fellowship includes both the objective and the experiential aspect of our relationship with God. Both, not just one. Can't have the experiential, can't have the subjective without the objective. If you have the objective, it must of necessity follow that you experience the subjective. It's only as we understand our objective union with Christ that we'll be able to enter fully into the experiential joys of fellowship with him. When you understand what it means to be united to Christ, when you understand what it means to be part of his body, when you understand it, really understand it, the fact of it, the truth of it, the impact on your life dramatically changes, as I shall try to point out. Turn to 1 Corinthians again, chapter 1. I just want us to read from verses 4 through 9, and I want to focus a little on verses 8 and 9. Paul says to him, I always thank God for you because of his grace, because his grace has given you, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking, in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Now, that last verse, verse 9, where he says, God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. That phrase, called you into fellowship, many people have looked at that and read that and used that as a basis for the subjective relationship, i.e. their quiet time. God, God wants me to fellowship with him, based on that verse. Now, while this may be part of what Paul is saying, it is not the main thrust of that statement. Go back to verse 8 with me again. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Paul is actually grounding the assurance of the Corinthians' salvation at the coming of the day of Christ in the faithfulness of God. It's God, his faithfulness, that assures our salvation. It's God. As Kevin, I know, very aptly shared with you as he taught through Romans chapter 8 with you. It's God who called us into relationship with Christ. So question. 
How is it possible then that the Corinthians, now think with me, how is it possible that the Corinthians will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? How is it possible that Paul could say that they would be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because they stand in relation to him, right? They simply, the fact is, they're in relation to him. Is Christ blameless? And because Christ is blameless, I am. (laughs) That's what I am. Really? Yeah, but it's not anything you did. It's all Christ. And the fact that he has deigned in his sovereign will to call you into fellowship with him, that means you're blameless. Now, the original word koinonia, as we said last time, signifies, among other things, participation, doesn't it? Not only relationship, but participation. We are called to be participants. Participants not only in what God is doing, but participants of Christ. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, I know this is... Maybe a bit much to get your mind around. Participants of the divine nature. Listen to what Peter says. As, as members of Christ's body, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Through these, he, God, has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the what? divine nature, and thereby escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, he's given us great promises. He's he's assured us. And unless I have assurance, I'm not going to see myself and I'm not going to actually participate in the divine nature, although the fact is I am. By virtue of the fact that I am bonded to Christ. But I I need to be able to realize that. Because if I don't realize that, I'm not going to be able to actively participate in the divine nature and thereby escape the corruption of the world. Isn't this marvelous? Well, I, I knew that. Did you now? Did you? And while the word fellowship in our passage in 1 Corinthians in verse 9 includes both union and communion with Christ... It is the union, the objective relationship with him that is primarily in view. He called me into objective fellowship. The fact. He's called me into the fact of relationship with Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are now members of his body. Now, he uses that metaphor to describe our position, our condition, But many times we let the metaphor just kind of drop and we don't really get a hold of it. What derives from that metaphor? What what truth is he saying that that has meaning for my life? The term his body, members of his body. The term his body does not signify merely ownership. As we might say in the expression, say we use the expression, his house, his car. Implies what? Ownership, doesn't it? 
Instead, that term that Paul uses, his body, signifies union or actual attachment, as in the expression, his hand, his heart, his head. There's a difference there, isn't there? You see, your hand, your heart, your head do not merely belong to you in the sense of ownership. They are an integral part of you. In the same way, we, the members of Christ's body, not only belong to him, Paul says over in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, we were bought with a price, we belong to him, but we are also spiritually part of him. We are spiritually part of him. In Ephesians 5.30, Paul says, we are part of his body. The metaphor is used again in Romans and Corinthians of, of all of us being members of the body. And we receive every single iota of our spiritual life from him. We do not generate any of it on our own. Over in 1 John, turn to 1 John. We looked at this verse last time. 1 John chapter 1. Again, John also sees fellowship with God primarily in terms of an objective relationship. Not solely subjective. Objective. It always starts objective. My wife reminds me, we are married. Oh, yeah. That's right. It, it gives me perspective. You're my husband. Oh, yeah. It kind of jolts me back to reality. And, and Okay, what does that imply? It implies certain things, doesn't it? I can't experience subjective, experiential relationship with her unless I am in an objective, factual relationship. Am I, am, are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? She told me to use that illustration, by the way. <laughs> Listen to what he says. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, we have proclaimed to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. We, we, we claim, we, we told you the facts. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. And we tell this to you so that you would believe and you would have fellowship with us, that we would be together objectively first so that you and we may share in a common life, that life which we share, as he goes on and he says, that life which we share with who? God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, not only that we, that we, we have a relationship, but the relationship that we have with God, you can have it too. It's a fact. Really? Yeah, and this is why we're telling you what we're telling you. It's the truth. Drop down to verse 6. He says, if we claim to be sharing in his life while we walk in the dark, our words and our lives are what? They're a lie. In other words, if what I'm telling you is true, that you're sharing in his life, you are part of him, and yet you walk in the dark, you cannot claim that you're part of him and still walk in the dark. Because you're lying. If, you, if that's your claim, you say, but no, no, I, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus. No, you don't. 
You may have intellectual assenting to. You may know something about Jesus. You may have an affection. Uh, but you know what? If you're walking in the dark, there's a, there's a contradiction there. In fact. And then he says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we share together a common life. In other words, he's in the light, and if I'm walking in the light, that's a validation that I what? I share his life. It's obvious. But if I'm not, then I'm either deceived by the devil or I'm worse, deceived by myself. So to walk in the light, we must be partakers of his nature. If you're not walking in the light, don't say you're a Christian because you're not. If you're walking in the dark, you can only be a partaker of his nature validated by the fact that you're walking in the light. Now, what's the point of all this? Why am I laboring this fact that koinonia denotes, first of all, relationship with God, a factual relationship with God? Because, this is so important, because it is important for us to realize that by God's grace, all believers share in the very life of Christ himself. We have to realize this, not just know it, realize it. As wonderful as it is to realize that God calls us to have communion with him each day, it is far more wonderful, I think, to know that he has called us to actually share in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That blows me away. To share in the life of his son. What's one of Paul's favorite expressions throughout his, uh, his letters to the churches? Anybody know? One of his favorite expressions. Two words, two little words. In Christ. Yep. She was here Friday night. <laughs> there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And on and on. I mean, you read it everywhere. Paul's a little phrase. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's one of his favorite expressions. And it's by that phrase that he refers to that vital union that exists between the believer and Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. That's a fact. That's the truth. It's this union that is symbolized by Jesus' analogy, marvelous analogy, John chapter 15. Who knows what the analogy is that he uses in John chapter 15? The vine and the branches. What a beautiful analogy. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So just as the vine supplies the life, the resources, the fluids, the whatever is necessary for that branch to produce fruit, so Christ, the true vine that we are intimately part of, supplies his life to us so that you and I can bear fruit. Are you tracking with me? Now, where do we Christians 
Where do we Christians get the power we need to live the Christian life? Where do we get the power? We get it from God. All of us would acknowledge that the power comes from the Lord Jesus, right? We are to be strong, as Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, how do we obtain that power? How do we obtain that power? God, give me power. Give me power. Anybody prayed that? Yeah. That's typically what we do all the time. Now, question. Does the branch say to the vine, Give me power. Get some power up to me. Does it? No, the branch, it's the way God designed it. it, it just the, the power, the nutrients, the resources, everything just goes. So how do you and I get power, this power to live the Christian life? <laughs> oh, simply because we're united to him. Because we're united to him. We've been called to share in his life. God didn't just call us to be in association with Christ, which I think many Christians see or they think. They hear the parable, but they translate in their mind association. They don't really grasp the reality, the fact that they're part of him and his life is in us. No, God didn't just call us into association with Christ, but into union with him, into an actual sharing of his all-powerful life. Now you can understand why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 4, I think it's verse 13, is it? I can do what? Through Christ who? Ooh, see, that takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm united to him. His life flows into me. I can do it. There's no excuse. Wittingly or unwittingly. How many times have we said, I, I, I just can't do it. I just can't. I just, I try, I try. I can't break free. It's a problem. And we go on and on and on. Why? It's because we don't believe. We don't believe the truth that Christ has come to set us free. And to bring power into our life to do those things he's called us to do, to be those people he's called us to be, that we cannot be and do without him, without his power, without his life. Hallelujah! Let me tell you, I'm excited. Are you excited? Paul, Paul says it. I can do everything. Everything he's called me to do, I can be everything he's called me to be. Why? How can I say that? How can I do that? Because he strengthens me. How does he strengthen me? By the very fact that I'm united to him and his strength and his life is constantly flowing into me. The question is, do I believe that? Do I believe the fact of that? It was several years after I'd become a Christian that I, I, I began to understand. It took me a while. I began to understand the significance of my union with Christ. 
and to consciously experience the reality of that union in my daily life. I knew that Christ was my Savior. I believe that. I also knew how to practice the basic essentials of the Christian life. I mean, I read my Bible. I had a regular quiet time. I memorized scripture. I shared the gospel with other people. I tried very very hard to, to live an obedient Christian life. I even memorized many of those verses that had the words in Christ in them. And yet I did not realize the significance of that marvelous expression in Christ. I was too busy living the Christian life. I was too busy being obedient. I was too busy trying to be a Christian. (laughs) I forgot that I was already. I forgot the basis. I I didn't realize the basis of my Christianity. My concept of praying for power to live the Christian life, I liken to uh, a college student calling home for more money. <laughs> I might get it, I might not. Spiritually, I, 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 I felt like a pauper. I was always begging for power. I was, I was always bereft of power. I didn't have any power. I didn't realize the truth of what the Scriptures taught. Because I didn't realize and grasp that truth that I am in union, I am part of his body, his life-giving power and life-sustaining power already is flowing in me. If I didn't know I had it, if I, if I come to you and I'm going to say, I'm going to put a, a $10,000 in your bank account. And I do it. And I tell you that. Now, you have a choice, don't you? What's your choice? Believe me or not. Now, if you believe me, what are you going to go do? I'm going to write checks. <laughs> if you don't believe me, what? That $10,000 is going to sit there and it's not going to do you any good. Isn't this exciting? Some of you are sitting here, I can hardly wait to use the power of God. <laughs> I can hardly wait. <laughs> You're getting it. One day, I began to realize the significance of what Paul meant when he said that I was in Christ. I looked at that phrase. I said, what does that mean? I'm in Christ. And I began, I began to allow, if you will, the Holy Spirit to open my understanding and enable me to realize that I was a branch vitally and intimately joined to him, joined, joined to the vine, not just tacked on, actually a part of it. And I began to understand that just as the life of that vine flowed naturally into the branch, so the life of Jesus Christ flows naturally into me now. Whoa. No more whining. No more poor me. Because I'm not poor, spiritually. I have the very power of God resident in me. Jesus said something like, rivers of, 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 of living water will flow out of you. I wonder how many Christians have experienced rivers of living water. He says, you'll do things that I'm doing, but you'll do greater things. 
You ever puzzle over those verses? You wonder, why, why, why not the living water? Why, what's the deal? What's to do greater things? And we explain those verses away because our experience doesn't seem to match up with what we intuitively think that might mean. Why? I believe the reason is because we, quite frankly, have not grasped what it means to be in Christ. The objective fact and truth of being what it means to be in relationship with him. Wow. Don't you love us? So I began to realize... I began to realize that every expression of the Christian life in and through me since the day of my conversion, every expression was a result of my own efforts. Right, Kevin? Wrong. No, it's a result of what? My union with Christ and consequently his life at work in me. Yes, I work. Work out your salvation with fear. Why? Because God is at work in you. Beloved, our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is an objective fact that is true whether we realize it or not. It is also true that to a degree we experience the fruit of that union apart from any conscious effort on our part. For example, at conversion, if you can remember back, at conversion, did you experience anything like this? Maybe a degree of spiritual enlightenment and understanding, just at conversion. <gasps> I was blind, but now I see. Anybody know what I'm talking about? At conversion, anybody experience a degree of change in their desires and or attitudes? At conversion, at conversion, did anybody begin to experience some even slight inclination of your will to live a life pleasing to God? Yeah. Where did that come from? The life of God flowing into you. The will of God. The grace of God. The power of God. I remember... When I brand new Christian, brand new Christian, I had this stash of marijuana. <laughs> I did. I used to live in Hawaii, and so I, I and I had a marijuana farm in Hawaii and a partner, and uh, he would regularly ship me. Uh, some of you are familiar with Kona Gold. These are the flowering tops of the cannabis sativa plant, grown in Kona. This was the best. You roll a joint with one top, and you're looped. You're flying. You're, whoa, cool, man. You know, all that stuff. I will never forget this. I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, a whole new world is open. I just received Christ. And all of a sudden, I see this box that has my stash. And I think... No more. And I went and got it, and I took it to the toilet, and I flushed it down the toilet. I mean, it does a lot of stuff. 
part of me, part of me said, what are you doing? The other part said, I'm not interested. I'm just not interested. There was no struggle. I didn't labor. I said, I just, something's changed in me. I couldn't give you chapter verse. I couldn't tell you what had happened. All I knew was that I was different. And it's been like that ever since. And I have only begun to understand that, as I suggested to you earlier. Beloved, it is true that just as the life of the vine flows naturally into the branch, so the life of Christ flows naturally into you and me, causing these changes in our lives. You say, well, I, I haven't experienced those changes. I'm still struggling. I'm still battling. And because you don't believe. You don't believe the truth. When it says, believe in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that, he, that you believe that he died on the cross. It means that you believe everything that it says about him and that you united him, you're one with him. You are set free. And you are poised to experience that freedom in ways you never have. You don't think that will turn you on? You don't think that you won't want to tell somebody else? Now, the analogy is not, now I have to, I have to qualify this. The analogy of the, the, the branch and the vine or the member of his body, you know, those analogies that Paul uses, we can't press those so far as to give the impression, this is important, as to give the impression that we are passive in our union with Christ. Yes, his life, his power flows into me. It's there, it's there, it's there, whether I realize it or not. But it doesn't mean that I'm to be passive in my, in my walk, in my, in my union with him. Jesus told us in the analogy of the vine and the branches, he said what? Remain in me. Abide in me. There's something active I must do. I'm a participant. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, he says, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. So we are to remain in Christ, continuing to live in him. And clearly this act of continuing to abide, continuing to live in him is something we are commanded to do. And I'm going to tell you about that next time. Shall we pray? (laughs) You guys are great. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the hope of salvation, the confidence, Lord, that we too will be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you have so united us to Christ that his very life becomes ours. That we can walk in the light. That we can be free. That we can have a, a, a rich, wonderful, experiential relationship with you. God, thank you. 
Thank you for your great purpose and plan. Thank you for all that you do. Open our understanding to these things. Lord, give us insight, spiritual insight, and knowledge of your will regarding the truth, the truth. We love you this morning, and again, we give you thanks, and we pray these things in Jesus' name because you said we could. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor one thing that you learned this morning. One thing that you learned this morning.